and from Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, commencing to read from verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. And we know the Lord will bless to us the reading of his precious word this evening. This indeed is a very familiar passage to most of us, and particularly those of us who attended children's meetings and Sunday school. And yet the danger for all of us is when we come to those familiar passages, when the preacher announces his text, when he reads the scripture, we say, well, we have heard it all before, and we switch off. Can I ask you not to switch off tonight? Because I believe God's word is a living word. We can read it one day. We can see something in it. We can go back to it the next day. We can see something more in it. And I never fail to be amazed at what God presents to me when I go back and back and back to familiar passages. And as Jesus drew my thoughts to this about a fortnight ago, I said to myself, well, Lord, my favorite text, our favorite saying is, what's new? And as I just opened up to God, God began to instill certain thoughts in my mind. And those I wish to leave with you this evening. The gospel writers, in giving their account of this particular happening, would seem to be at little odds with each other. For Matthew, in his account, says they were leaving Jericho. He says there was two blind men, and they were not maimed. Our text, as we have read this evening, says they were leaving Jericho. There was one blind man, and his name was Bartimaeus. Luke, in his report in chapter 18, says they were near Jer Jericho. There was one blind man, and he didn't name him. And sadly, when we come to such a situation as this, there are many who pick up on what they would call the discrepancies. And they focus on the discrepancies. And they will talk about the discrepancies. And they will try to explain with their own minds and understanding the discrepancies. But they fail to grasp the reality that Jesus was found in Jericho. He was there to meet a man whose need only he and only he alone could meet. Can we grasp the reality of that this evening? For Jesus had crossed Jordan. He had come into the city of Jericho. And there he performed his last healing miracle in his earthly ministry. That, that happened when Bartimaeus came before him. He had gone with a purpose. He hadn't gone up by chance. You know, when we're out for a drive, sometimes we see a road and we wonder, well, where does that lead to? And we take a turn and we go down. It wasn't one of those cases. 
Jesus had deliberately gone to the city of Jericho. He had a plan. He had a purpose. His plan, his purpose was one called Bartimaeus. Many would refer to Bartimaeus in the city of Jericho as a nuisance, a pest, a beggar. Didn't do anything for the personified of the city. It didn't uplift the city. A beggar sitting in the street. And many walked past him daily on their way to their different activities. They counted him not worth taking note of. They counted him as a nuisance. They counted him maybe even as a blot on the landscape, as we would say today. But Jesus didn't view him that way. Jesus thought so much of Bartimaeus that he came over Jordan. He came into the city to meet with him. Bartimaeus was blind. He could not make the journey. But Jesus made the journey to where he was. And can we grasp the reality this evening that no matter where we are, Jesus is prepared and willing to come to where we are. Praise his wonderful name. Before we go any further, I could possibly offer a suggestion as to why one of the comment, the writers said he was entering Jericho, he was leaving Jericho, he was near to Jericho. For Jericho of Jesus' day was located some five miles west of Jordan and 15 miles northeast of Jerusalem. The site of the Canaanite city of Joshua's day lay one mile to the north. Therefore, the writers, in giving their explanation, depended on where they were focusing the city to be. Was it the old city? Was it the new city? But I'm not going to get into debate about that. The main thing is Jesus was there. And he was there for a purpose. And I praise God he was there because he went to Jericho, because he met Bartimaeus' need. We can rejoice in the fact this evening he's the same Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. And he's present with us this evening. He has come here to MPC for a purpose. He's not here by chance. For he says in his word, where the twos and threes are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. Can we grasp the reality of that this evening? Jesus is here. And he has come. And he has come with a purpose. And as Jesus went into Jericho, he was on a mercy mission. For mercy was needed. Mercy was asked. Mercy was offered. And mercy was enjoyed. And that is the reality we have this evening in Jesus. We have all things in Christ. Praise his wonderful name. The world may despise us. The world may not have time for us. But Jesus has every moment for 24-7 for each and every one of us this evening. Can we grasp the reality of that? And while the blindness of the eyes is a terrible and sad condition, the blindness of the soul to the things of God is even a greater disaster. But let's look at this situation. Let's try and draw out what God would say unto us. Bartimaeus was blind. The blind are to be pitied. But we thank God that for those who are to be pitied, there is an answer, there is a solution, and it's found in Jesus Christ this evening. For Bartimaeus, he knew when he heard the name of Jesus, it meant something to him. It wasn't just a name. It was a particular name. It done something to him. It rose up within him. It thrilled him. It excited him. It set him afire. And he shouted. And he made known that he was there. Do you know, sometimes when Jesus would do for us, he wants to do for us. But you know, we're very reluctant. 
you know, we are inclined to hold back. We are inclined to just, oh, we're too sedate. We're too properly mannered to get involved. But I thank God Bartimaeus set us an example. He gave us a a blueprint, if I can get it out, of how we can do business with Jesus Christ. He was hopeless in a situation, yet in that situation, there was an answer to it. He thought maybe to himself, as far as he was concerned, this will be my dilemma, this will be my situation until I reach the grave. But I praise God, Jesus had other ideas. Jesus had another plan for Bartimaeus. And Jesus was willing. Bartimaeus was willing. And things happened. Praise his wonderful name. Well, do we remember the writings of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, in which he said, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. For Bartimaeus, he may have started out as an ordinary day. It may have started out as just, well, another day. Nothing different. Nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to alter. But praise God, when Bartimaeus met Jesus, everything changed. His whole life, his whole circumstances, his whole outlook in life, and his whole situation changed. But as we are told, for him, it was the accepted time. For each and every one of us, how many times have we, accept, have we let those uh, situations pass by? You know, Isaiah writing in, in chapter 55 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. For Bartimaeus, mercy was offered and mercy mercy was asked for. When he heard it was Jesus, he began to cry out. And when others rebuked him, he cried the more. Do you know, we're so easy put off, aren't we? We're so easy, oh, don't do that. You'll upset the meeting. The pastor will be angry with you. It's not the routine. It's not the done thing. I praise God for when the Spirit moves. The plans go out the window. You know, sometimes we tie the hands of the Holy Spirit with our program. I know at times you have to have programs, but oh, that God by his Spirit would have free course. Free course not only in our gathering, but free course in our lives. Not just on a Sunday, but 24-7, every day of the week, that we can say Jesus is living and breathing and moving and operating in and through me. Praise is wonderful. For that's what he wants to do. He wants to make us different. He wants to set us free. We have something to shout about. We have something to praise God for. If we had only just submit to him and what he wants for us. But what of Bartimaeus? He cried. <laughs> he didn't care who heard him. He wasn't afraid of his own voice. He wasn't afraid of people hearing him. He was earnest in his call. He was humble in his prayer. He says, have mercy. He was, there was faith in his prayer. He confessed that Jesus Christ was Lord and his prayer was one of perseverance. He withstood the rebuke of the multitude. Praise his wonderful name. For he cried for the right thing, have mercy on me. Luke writing in chapter 18 says, men ought always to pray and not faint. Bartimaeus didn't faint. He didn't give up. He wasn't put off. 
He was determined. They tried to shush him, but he shouted the more. He wasn't interested whether men heard him, what men thought of him, or anything else. He wanted to get the ear of Jesus. That was his goal. That was his concern. And he raised his voice. And one can well imagine how loud he had to shout. For Jesus was passing by. There was a crowd round about him, chatting, talking, and everything else. So he had to raise his voice. There's no PA systems then. He had to ball it out. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And you know, if we find the mercy, know what Jesus has to offer, we find everything that we need in him. Many, when they have con are conscious of their need, they cry for peace, for joy, or for consolation. But yet mercy is the first necessity. Luke in chapter 18 gives us an insight into the publican who was found in the temple. He did not lift his head heavenward, but looked down to the ground. He smote his breast and he said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. He made also his request to the right one. Jesus, thou son of David. Well, does the hymnist say, Oh, how sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. It calms his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fear. For Bartimaeus, that day when he heard the name of Jesus, something happened within him that hadn't happened before. He was, Jesus was near. Jesus was having an effect upon him, and he wanted to do business with Jesus. For we are told there is none other name under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved, as Paul reminds us in Acts chapter 4. And you know, if he, for Bartimaeus, if he failed here, there was nothing left for him but despair and the blackness of darkness. But the psalmist in Psalm 60 says, let your requests be made known unto him. The psalmist was speaking from the most innermost parts of his heart. He could speak, he could say from experience, let your petitions be made known to him. For not only had he made them known, he had experienced an answer to his situation. He asked at the right time. Jesus was passing by. He did not wait for a more convenient season as King Agrippa did, but he knew the danger of delay. Surely we need to take care that we are not letting our last opportunities slip past without a cry for help. But mercy was offered. He who hears the faintest whisper, will not turn a deaf ear to the cry of a needy, trusting soul. For we see he stood still. That is Jesus. The crowd couldn't get Jesus to stand still. He was making his way through the streets. But Bartimaeus got Jesus to stand still. The gold of prayer is the ear of God. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him. He stood still that he might give himself to the help of the believing that Destitute, believing but destitute beggar. To every such soul, Jesus surely gives himself. Not only did he stand still, but he called him. Word came down the line. Be of good comfort, he calleth thee. This was indeed the gospel of Christ to the blind petitioner. See how quickly he obeys the call. For we're made aware that casting away his outer garments in his haste, he made his way to Jesus, cast away his loose outer garments. He cast away everything that might be in any way to trip him up or hinder him. Paul, writing in Hebrews, says, Lay aside every weight which doth so easily beset us or hinder us. Get rid of the baggage. 
Get rid of those things that would keep us back. What we're thinking, what people will think, what people will say, and so on. Get rid of it all. And when Jesus calls, just come and come as you are. It's, uh, the message was, rise, he calleth for thee. What a change came over Bartimaeus. But what about the crowd? Those who had discouraged him at first, are they not the ones who conveyed the message to him? The good news. Those who had shooed him to be quiet, are they not the ones who are reaching out their hand to help him along the way? Are they not the ones that were parting and making a passageway between them and leading them from hand to hand till he stands before Jesus? When Jesus calls, things happen. Not only is an individual change, but those round about are affected. For where Jesus is, it cannot remain the same. No matter who they are, no matter what thinking they have, where Jesus is, people are changed. This crowd was changed. Their attitude was changed. And their response was changed. But we need to realize that it wasn't that Jesus didn't know what Bartimaeus was in need of when Jesus said to him, Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? But what he needed was Bartimaeus to confess. And as Jesus stood on that street in Jericho some 2,000 plus years ago, and as he faced eye to eye with Bartimaeus and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? He's present in our midst this evening, and he's looking at each and every one of us, and he's saying, what do you want me to do for you? No, when the preacher brings the challenge, are we not guilty? And we say, oh, thank goodness, that doesn't apply to me. And we breathe a sigh of relief. And we don't really look around, but we move around. We say, well, it applies to him and maybe her and somebody else. But can I say to you this evening that Jesus is standing before you and eye to eye, he's looking into your eyes. He's not looking over you or around you. He's looking straight at you. And he's saying, what do you want me to do for you? For Jesus says, where the twos and threes are gathered, there am I in the midst. We fail, we quote that verse, yet we fail to grasp the reality and the significance of it. Jesus is here this evening. We have experienced the move of his Holy Spirit already this evening. But he hasn't left. He's still here. He's still meeting with us. He still wants to minister. There's much more he wants to do in our gathering this evening if we are prepared to come his way and to let him have his way in our gathering and in our lives James, writing in chapter 4, says, Ye have not, because ye ask not. Some weeks ago, I was finding a discussion with some friends, and we were talking about the things of God and the move of God in many different places in the world, particularly third world countries, about the numbers that have been saved and the miracles that have been performed. And we were thinking, well, that's over there. But we thank God there are salvations in Ireland. We thank God there are bodies being healed. We thank God God is still building his church. But when we compare the statistics, it seems more is happening over there than it is here. And the conclusion we came to was simply this. It's not that God was any different from one place to the other. But for those in what we have termed third world countries, they have a simple faith. The scripture speaks of us having childlike faith. 
for those when they read it in God's word, God said it, God promised it. They don't query it. They don't try to reason it out. They accept it for face value for what it is and they act upon it and God honors their faith. We in the Western world, you know they say a little knowledge is a good thing but too much knowledge is a handicap on this right. We seem to say, well, you know, it's too small an issue for God or it's not really important or maybe it's too big a problem. Maybe our God varies from day to day. One day he's a great big God. Next day he's not so big, he's not so great. Or sometimes we say, well, give it time and it will sort itself out. But you know, Jesus stands before us this evening and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Is he not able to do today what he did in the scriptures. In Matthew chapter 8, we have the account of the centurion who came to Jesus on behalf of a servant. The centurion bowed before him, made known his petition. Jesus says, I'll go with you. The centurion says, no, no, no. I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but just speak the word. And what Jesus said, that he had not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. The centurion returned home. He inquired of the household, and the time the servant be took, got, the became well, began to he be healed, was the time Jesus spoke. Can we grasp the reality? Distance is no object to Jesus. It's no object. It may be for us, but it is not for Jesus. The centurion came on behalf of a servant. In Matthew chapter 19, we have the story of Jairus' daughter. A father in distress. The doctors could do nothing for her, but she heard Jesus was nearby and he makes his way to where Jesus is. He worships him. He explains the situation. Jesus says, I'll come. I'll follow you. And as they were making their way to the house, things happened. I'm sure if Jairus was anything like me, he'd be wishing the Lord would put an inch to his step, would move a little faster, for Jairus, his daughter, as he said, she may even be dead before I get back. And then, of course, we have the encounter with the lady with the issue of blood. And that in itself would delay things a little more. But when he got to the house, the daughter was already dead. The professional mourners were in, wailing and so on. But Jesus put them all out. He took mom and dad into the room with the disciples. He took her by the hand. He spoke to her. She opened her eyes. She sat up. And what did Jesus say to mom? Give her something to eat. This is the Jesus we serve this evening. Do you know? He responds. Praise his wonderful name. But what of the situation in 2 Kings chapter 4? The widow woman, her husband was one of the sons of the prophets. He had died. And she'd found herself in financial difficulties. The debtors were knocking at the door. They were looking payment. The only solution was that her sons were going in to be slaves. She had sold, sold everything she had in the house to try and raise the money. But there, was, there wasn't enough to pay the bills. And she comes to the Lord's servant, Elisha. She explains the situation. And he says, what shall I do for thee? Do you know? He didn't go and put money in the bank account. Although I praise God, God does do that. God does give financial gifts when we need it. He meets the need that way. But he says to her, what have you got? 
What have you got in the house? And I can well imagine this widow lady having sold the picture frames and all the furniture and everything else. Anything that she thought she could make a bit of money on, she had sold it to meet the need, to try and meet the need. She said nothing. Oh, but there's a pot of oil. And Alicia told her what to do with a pot of oil. She gathered all pots and pans, saucepans from all the neighbors, went into the house, closed the door, and they began to pour out the oil out of the pot. Filled one, it was still pouring. Filled another, it was still pouring. It seemed endless. And she kept pouring and pouring and pouring. And when she asked her sons for more pots, they said, there is no more. And then she came back to Alicia, the prophet. Now what do I do? And he says, go sell what you have, pay your debts, and live in the rest. This is our God. He doesn't just meet the need. He meets more than the need. He met the need for paying the debtors, and her sons and her had something to live on. Praise his wonderful name. When we come the way Jesus wants us to come, when we obey his instruction, he meets the need. As the oil... So he did with the bread and fishes. When he fed the five thousands, he caused it to multiply until the need was met. And even in feeding the thousands, there was basketfuls left over. There was more picked up and left over than there was when he started. This is the Jesus we serve. And he says to us this evening, what do you want me to do for you? We look at Luke. We look at the parable of the prodigal son, and I know I'm taking preacher's license a little here. For very much we look at the parable of the prodigal son, we think of the heavenly father welcoming this, the wanderer and the sinner home. But the way the Lord brought it to me was dad saying goodbye to his son. No, son had got tired of home, the constraints of home, the life at home. He wanted to do his own thing. He wanted to go his own way. He wanted to make his own mark, as it were, in the world. And that day he set off. His father prayed for him. We who are parents, we pray for our children. We pray for the covering and protection of the blood on them on a daily basis. Dad was no different with his son. He prayed for him and his son set off. Well-groomed, well-clothed, riding a nice horse, no doubt, with pack animals behind, carrying his belongings, and he set off down the road. And Dad, no doubt, was heavy-hearted. And each day he prayed, but as he prayed, he not only prayed, he put faith into action. He rose from his knees. And I visualize him making his way to a little mound, a little hill, where he has a clear vision of the road ahead. The road down which his son went when he left home. The road down which he will come on his return journey. And he watches days, weeks, months. But he doesn't give up. He prays. He watches. And then one day he sees something in the distance and he says, is it? Is it possible? And he begins to get excited. He strains his eyes and as the image comes closer and closer, he gets more excited. He says, it must be. It is. It is. And he convinces himself. And I see him running off that little hill down on the road and not slow walking, but running down that road towards that person making their way down. And as he gets nearer and nearer, he realizes it is his son. Not the well-groomed, well-dressed young man that left. Uh, bedraggled, poorly presented individual. 
But as far as he was concerned, he wasn't interested in that. He was concerned that Jesus had heard his prayer, that Jesus had answered his prayer, that Jesus had brought his, home, his son home safely. This is the God we serve. How many children have left home and gone astray? How many parents find themselves in that situation? Can we grow, draw comfort and sustenance from even this illustration? That when we pray to God believing, he not only will hear, but he will answer. And then again in James chapter 1, James says to us, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall, not be, it shall be given to him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. How often have we said, you know, I wish I just knew what to do. We have faced situations, family situations, work situations, who we're going to marry, what job we're going to go to, what we're going to plan for our future. And we've said, you know, I don't know what to do. I wish I just knew what to do. James reminds us, let's ask Jesus, for he knows what we should do. And when we ask, he will give us the wisdom and he will give us the answer. This is the Jesus we serve this evening. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? When Bartimaeus, in response to what Jesus said, when he said, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus was laying all the riches and provision of his grace at this dear man's feet. Do you know? If we could only grasp the unfathomableness on mercy that was placed at the disposal of this man. We, our minds can't comprehend it. Our minds can't take it in. But great is the provision of Jesus. And no matter how often we call upon it, no matter how much we draw from it, it's like the, crew, the pot of oil. It never will run done. Praise his wonderful name. For Bartimaeus, there was also mercy and joy. For we rejoice that Jesus will not send the hungry empty away. Bartimaeus believed. And Jesus said, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. The writer in Hebrews, as we were reminded this morning in chapter 11, says, without faith it is impossible to please God. Paul, writing in Ephesians 2, says, By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For Bartimaeus he received, and immediately he received his sight. Sight was offered him, and he accepted the gift by faith. Those who believe in him, that is Jesus, will not need to walk in darkness, for the power and grace of Christ is all sufficient for all who trust. But what do we see? He not only received, but he followed. What a changed man. He no longer had any need to sit at the gate of the city and beg. The Lord, by his grace, had spoiled his begging business. He had no desire nor capacity for it now, that he has not that he has met the Lord and got his life renewed. His love for Christ now constrains him to follow him in the way. And Jesus stands before us this evening and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Let's hear what Jesus says in the scriptures. 
in Matthew chapter 10, verse 27, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Your circumstance, your situation, where you are, where you're at, it may seem there is no solution. But Jesus says, with him, all things are possible. He says again in Mark chapter 9, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believe. It requires faith, not just speaking the words, but believing what we're saying, that Jesus can, that Jesus will meet the need. Paul writing in Ephesians chapter 3, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. This is the God we serve this evening. Matthew Henry in his comments said, There is an inexhaustible fullness of grace and mercy in God which the prayers of all the saints can never draw dry. Praise his wonderful name. But let's remind ourselves also of the word of the Lord to the children of Israel through the prophet of Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 2. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And Mark again in chapter 11 says, What things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them and ye shall have them. Jesus says, What do you want me to do for you? You know, my late father-in-law was a farmer and a couple of times I had the opportunity, I don't know whether it was a privilege or not, of being with him when he was doing some business. And when it came to payment, I got offside because I just got embarrassed. I walked away. I don't believe in his business dealings he ever paid the price the seller was asking for. But I want to tell you something, his daughter's no different. <laughs> if I come home and I've made a purchase, the usual question comes in, did you pay what the man asked for? My answer, yes. Did you not ask for discount? I say, no. She says, well, you know, if you don't ask, you don't get. And on that point, I would have to say she's absolutely right. But to realize that in a more serious note, James says, ye have not because ye ask not. Jesus is saying, what do you want me to do for you? Ask. Ask of me. Ask of me. Prove me. Test me. And find me faithful and true. Jesus asked the question, what do you want me to do for you? He's waiting on your answer. What is your answer? For only you know what you're in need of this evening. Praise God.